invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew, the 8th chapter, and we come to the end of chapter 8 in our study of the Gospel according to Matthew. I believe uh, we can easily say that all of Scripture points to God and His many attributes. We talked about some of His attributes in our adult Sunday school class this morning. He's all-knowing, He's all-powerful, He's always present. And this morning we continue to see that the authority that Christ displayed in His ministry while He was here on earth, Christ's authority can easily uh, be lumped in with a host of attributes that belong to Him as the God-man. He is loving, some might say. He's gentle, He's kind, He's full of authority, selfless. You can just kind of get lost in the crowd there. But for Matthew, the authority of Jesus Christ is a critical uh, doctrine, a critical teaching. It's a foundational truth of sound faith. Even at the end of the Gospel, Matthew records our Lord's declaration where he said, All power or all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And so, in recognition of this authority, as His disciples, we can therefore carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. And apart from believing in His authority, we uh, would be far too timid to embark on such a task. We'd say, well, I don't know if I can do that, but, you know, since God has given the authority uh, to do it, I believe we can. Matthew seeks to illustrate examples of Christ's authority in every area of life so that we might turn, in turn, trust Him in every area of life. You know, faith does not just affect one's eternal destination. Faith is important, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Faith is very important putting our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, that is uh, very important. Uh, But it doesn't just affect our eternal destination. No, faith changes the way we live day by day. Certainly when I use the term faith, I don't mean uh, a generic faith or belief in a higher power or a feeling uh, that things are going to eventually work out in my favor. And I'm certainly not thinking or speaking of having faith in your fellow man or just some so-called religious uh, experience or tendency as the world would call us, you know, persons of faith. Are you a person of faith? Well, what does that mean, you know, a person of faith? Uh, uh, Faith uh, is ever focused upon the revelation of God so that a believer trusts or rests in the Lord and trusts Him to be faithful in, to His revelation. Uh, faith looks to the Lord, embraces Him, leans on Him, uh, finds deepest satisfaction in a relationship with the Lord. At the heart of this kind of faith is the certainty of Christ's authority in every area of life. Matthew wants us to see this authority from every angle so that whatever circumstances we might face, faith we might, uh, face, we might do so with confident faith in the Lord Jesus Christ right now and for eternity. Now, how does the issue of Christ's authority affect one's faith in Christ? 
Well, first of all, I want us to look at the authority of Christ for those of little faith. Now, this is really going back to the message that we preached last Sunday. Last week, when we saw the Lord's power and authority over the storm. And through the description, or though the description is slight, just reading the words of the text give us a feel of being in a small fishing boat with Christ and His disciples. Now, after being almost swallowed by the crowd, uh, Jesus gave the commandment to go across the Sea of Galilee in order to find a little bit of rest and solitude. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and the boat probably even lacked a sail. I don't know that it even had a sail, but probably was steered by a rudder, maybe with, uh, propelled with a few oars and, and so forth. And there would have been 10 or 12 men that would have filled this small boat. And then there came a great storm on the sea. And so that boat was being covered with the waves, uh, in, even to the point of filling the boat up with water. But you know what Jesus was doing, of course? You know he was asleep. And let me remind you what we concluded from our study of this passage last week. And uh, when I call these to your attention, you say, well, we went over these last week. But you know what? Some of you weren't here. And then some of you were asleep. Uh, no, I don't know. You've, that's between you and God. Maybe sometimes you're just resting. I don't know. But uh, sometimes you are staring off into space. Uh, sometimes your eyes are closed. Uh, and you're just resting your eyelids. I know. It's been a rough week. But uh, let me just share those seven lessons very quickly with you. Review them briefly to call attention to the authority and the power of the Lord Jesus in the storms of life and Christ's authority of those of little faith. First of all, we said don't be surprised by the fact that even when you follow Jesus Christ faithfully, you still have sudden or unexpected storms in your life. Unexpected storms. You find yourself in the midst of a trial, of a difficulty, of a storm. But you know, it's a part of His plan for your growth and your development in Him. That's the first thing we said. There are going to be unexpected storms come up in your life. Secondly, we can be confident, even if it seems like Jesus is asleep, that Jesus is still there, even in the storm, with you. He knows what is going on. He's able to do whatever is needed. The Lord is present. We said the Lord is present. Thirdly, we said that's a time we need to cry out to Him. Uh, there's a, a great, that's the greatest thing we can do in a time of a storm. We shouldn't say, well, oh Lord, it's another rough time. I think I'll just bear up and go through it again. No, don't be silent. Don't just keep on, but pray. Tell God what concerns you. Tell Him. Cry out to Him. And then fourthly, we said, be of good courage. As I just sang a little while ago, be of good courage and of strong faith in the midst of the storm. Be strong, be strong, be strong in the Lord. Be of good courage. Don't be timid or cowardly because of the lack of faith. He loves you and He will never abandon you. But don't give Him a reason to rebuke your sinful attitude because He rebukes the storm. In other words, don't lack in faith. Don't lack in faith. 
Be strong in the Lord. And then number five, we can be rest assured in the knowledge that he can transform the storm from a great storm to a great calm. Great storms are changed into great calms. Whenever we see the Lord working, he can change that great storm into a great calm. Number six, we said we need to watch and to learn from him as he teaches us in the midst of the storm that he's sovereign. The Lord is sovereign. He's in control of every area of your life. Even the wind and the sea must obey the commands of the one who is your greatest friend. The Lord is sovereign. That means he's in control. And then, most important, this last lesson we looked at, when it's over, and when he proves himself once again to you, worship him. Worship him. Thank God for taking you through the storm. Worship Him. And so Jesus Christ demonstrated His authority over those who have little faith. You say, your faith isn't very strong this morning. Well, God, or Jesus said to His disciples, O ye of little faith. And you say, Pastor, why, uh, why again did you go over those from last week? Again, uh, I wanted you to make sure that you uh, got them soundly in your thinking. Uh, by the way, you remember I spent a lot of years teaching school. Repetition is good. Repetition is one of the best ways to teach. And so uh, that's why we go over them again. But notice secondly, to, in today's passage, the authority of Christ for those of no faith. The authority of Christ with those with no faith. We said uh, earlier, last week, these had little faith. But we're talking this morning of those who have no faith. And the scene here moves from a timid, weak-in-faith disciples to a story of two demoniacs who had no faith at all. No one brought these demoniacs to Christ. It seems that instead Christ went to them. There's no more ministry in that region except that of these two demoniacs. Now the other Gospels, Mark and Luke, the other synoptic Gospels, mention actually only one demoniac, probably because he was the most severe or the dominant of the two, but, or since all, that was all they needed to explain their story of Christ's authority over the spirit realm. And so Christ pursued these two men to deliver them even though they had no faith to help them along the way. Notice in chapter 8, here, and, and we want to look at verse 28. And when he was come to the other side into the country of the uh, Gergesenes, there met them two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And there was, a good, uh, there was a good way off from them, and heard of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. 
And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine, and behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. And they that kept them fled and went their ways into the city and told everything what was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they besought him that he should depart out of their coast. Now the first thing I want you to see in this text is divine compassion. Divine compassion. As this story unfolds, we witness Christ crossing the Sea of Galilee to avoid a crowd until he arrived in a region that was dominated by Gentiles. And the fact that the pigs were raised indicates that this was Gentile region. You know, the Jews wouldn't have raised this uh, whole herd of pigs. But Jesus, it says, there met him two possessed with devils. That is, they were under the control. They were under the the domination and the authority of demons. Their minds and their wills and their emotions belong to the demons and not to themselves. To be possessed is to be under complete domination. They were vexed with possessed or possessed by devils or demons. The other gospel writers again describe their strength being such that men could not bind them with chains. They struck fear in all that attempted to walk near them. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. But one possessing all authority and all power did not draw back at the sight of these possessed men. And the question is asked, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Now you remember the disciples had just asked themselves a question when the stormy sea was immediately stilled at the rebuke of Christ. They said uh, something like, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now, these two demonized men answered their question, actually. They said, Son of God. What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? This was no ordinary man, but the only, uh, uh, the only man with an unmixed, unmingled divine nature. And the demons recognized the Son of God so much so that they could not flee his power but were constrained to bow before him. Now this question that the demoniacs ask, what have we to do thee or uh, with thee, or what to us and to you? It's kind of a, a saying uh, uh, from the Hebrew uh, uh, people that suggests that Jesus and demons have nothing in common. Now that's an understatement. We could we would say that they were not even on the same page. They were interested in torturing men, possessing men, and destroying all that comes their way. Christ, on the other hand, is interested in bringing peace to troubled and sinful lives. He's interested in bringing wholeness out of destruction. The demons leave their victims in mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual shambles. These poor men lived among the tombs and had no friends. They cried day and night in their misery. But Jesus Christ transformed so that the whole man is affected by the power of the gospel. The demons were right. They had nothing in common with Christ. Now they had a second question. 
And it concerns their understanding that Jesus is the judge. They ask, Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? In this case, the time has nothing to do with chronological time, but rather the concept of an event, presumably the time of judgment at the consummation of the ages. And that sets the stage here for us to consider the compassion of Christ in display of his authority. Here you have two men that could do nothing for themselves. They had no interest in Christ because their minds were filled with hatred and bitterness and anger and lust and greed and every vile thing imaginable. They had no will that would desire Christ or turn to Christ because their will was under demonic power. No one could talk to these men and tell them, you need to turn over a new leaf. You need to get reformed. They couldn't even tell them, you need to consider the gospel because they would not listen. They could not listen. But here, the authority of Christ stops them dead in their tracks and though inwardly clawing uh, clawing in another direction, Jesus Christ subdues these two men by His power. And with irresistible might, He conquered the mind, the will, and the heart of these men. His omnipotence claimed them for His own. And though our hearts may not have been filled with demons like these men, we are still under the dominion of the prince of the power of the air. Paul explains that to us in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, where he says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Our minds were darkened, as was our understanding. And with great callousness, we gave ourselves over to every kind of sin and rebellion against the law of God before we got saved. Ephesians 4, 17 goes on to say, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have them given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But then, thank God, many of us this morning here can testify that the omnipotent Christ subdued us. He subdued us. It was not that our wills first turned to Him and gave Him an invitation to work in our lives. That idea denies the sinfulness and the callous condition of our hearts apart from God's grace. But like the demoniacs, we got a glimpse of the Son of God and we felt the blow of His judgment upon us. Fear of His righteous wrath crushed us. And then in great compassion, He made us His own. Even as it says here, Jesus demanded of the demons, Go! And they rushed 
into a herd of swine while the demonized men were set free. Mark comments that the city people were, saw this demon-possessed sitting there clothed in his right mind. He, Mark only talks about one of them. He says he was sitting clothed in his right mind, transformed from the inside out. And these men sat before Christ as new disciples, ready, willing to follow Christ wherever he went. In obedience to Christ, these new believers returned to their home region proclaiming the things that Jesus had done for them. Here is the compassion of Christ displayed by His authority to subdue the unwilling and make them His disciples. His authority over those who had no faith. But in compassion, they trusted Christ. The human will lack the strength to overcome the power of sin and darkness apart from God's compassion. For by grace are you saved through faith. And so we rejoice that we have an omnipotent Lord that subdued our hearts so we might believe in Him. The other thing we notice here is demonstrative power. I know that's a big word. Demonstrative power. Now, if you're a big fan of barbecued pork, or you're fond of a nice rack of pork ribs, you'd have to admit, as you think about, and we're not told the exact number, but some have estimated this to be 2,000 pigs rushing into the, down the steep bank into the sea in their death. You say, what a waste of good pork. You know, some have even questioned the story's legitimacy because they thought rather cruel to animals and an economic waste. But you know what? This shows just how much our minds are skewed by the world's way of thinking. We look at this and we say, well, 2,000 pigs wasted. But you know what? 2,000 pigs could not compare to the value of two souls of these delivered men. We, We put so much emphasis on the things of this world rather than the soul that needs Christ. Even though the townspeople preferred the pigs to the men, Jesus Christ valued them more than the pigs. These townspeople have their kinsmen in our day. The people that cry foul at the least done to the maybe a snail darter or a whale or even a rat. But you know what? We have people that will get all upset about some endangered species, but they'll shrug their shoulders at the abortion of a precious child. Or the continued destruction of multitudes through the promotion of all manner of sinful practices. By the way, when was the last time you saw a pro-abortion liberal, including our president, share a tear over the millions of babies that have been senselessly murdered through abortion. 333,000 abortions this past year. But you know, there's another reason that the demons were given leave to enter the pigs. Some would declare that the demoniacs were not really demon-possessed. They just had a psychosomatic illness. 
or they had poor mental health. Some would say, oh, they were just uh, had a, uh, didn't have a good mental health. Only need a little human kindness therapy to render them harmless. But you know, a pig might wallow in the mud, but he will not run into clear, deep water. And so upon the command of Christ, go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a deep, steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. Pigs will, would not be spooked into water. They fled by the power of the demons that subdued their wills, just as those demons had subdued those two men. And you can imagine if there are 2,000, if the number is 2,000, how many demons that were there, that possessed these men. But in contrast, these two men now stood whole. They were new creatures in Christ. You know, we need to wake up today as God's people to the force that Satan has in our world today. We ought not to uh, underestimate the destructive power that Satan and his demons have. Our enemy would destroy all of us if he could. And I trust that you believe that. Peter said, He is your adversary. The devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now I know that both of these men are extreme examples of what Satan can do. But they ought to reveal to us the danger of dabbling with dead things and with sinful things and with satanic things. It ought to cause believers in Christ to resist the devil and know that he will flee from us. That we want nothing to do with him. You see, the force of Satan today is the same as it ever was. I know I'm speaking generally, but generally speaking, all that society does with problem people this, these days is if they can't cure them by an operation or by a pill, they isolate them or they put them under guard, whether it be under lock and key if necessary. They bind them physically. And the problem with these men was they displayed a demonic Herculean strength that may, uh, some may be aware of, which takes over people who are possessed, particularly possessed by the devil. But the lesson here is that the world's Ingenuous was no match for the enemy of souls. They broke out of their puny chains and cords. And I believe it's ironic that that's exactly the same way our society behaves toward the things of the devil, particularly of sin. Oh, they, people today say, oh, I'm in control. I can handle it. I'm in control of my life. I'm in control of my habits. I make choices and I can do this and that for myself. And society believes that today, but they don't realize they lie in the lap of the wicked one, the devil, who is in control. The prince of the power of the air. Even attempts to tame these men had failed. All of its wonderful scientific, technological advances and achievement. Our society is the same today uh, in the, as in the demoniac's day. Our society cannot cope with the problems caused by sin and Satan. It doesn't know what to do with them. Psychology has failed. Politics have failed. And it will fail. And the lie has been given over to evolution that we've been taught since we were young children in school. Man is not getting better. Man is getting worse. 
society doesn't know what to do with them. The Bible says men love pleasure rather than God. And that means that if you come to someone and say, look, I can give you a better world personally for you, a better life, and I can give you a better life that will actually uh, affect other people's lives and create a better world around uh, at least your environment and those whom you touch, but there is a cost to it. It will disturb your comfort. It might even affect your livelihood somewhat. And what would they say to that? Most of the time they'll say, well, just leave things the way they are. Don't disturb me. Don't mess with me. And that might be a bit depressing, but I believe it's the truth. People will say, don't disturb me with what the truth is. I'm quite happy in my own little world with my own little gods and my own little misery, my own little pity party. As people saw a miracle, a miracle of miracles, what did they do? Did they come down the aisle and pray the sinner's prayer? No, they said, Jesus of Nazareth, get away from us, leave us. That's frightening, isn't it? But it's obvious that our society today today has the same reaction. It's remarkable. Oh, those poor pigs. And what somebody, uh, what everybody's worried about? Poor pigs. Worried about the livelihood of the owners. How could the Lord Jesus do a thing like this? This farmer would have lost the equivalent today, someone has said, of a quarter of a million dollars. I don't know whether that's true or not, but it was an extreme amount of money to lose 2,000 pigs. You see, the power of Satan, the power of society, and finally the power of authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Praise God that He's still with us. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Glory to His name. All may change, but Jesus never. Was it His fault They were in this predicament. I imagine it was. Uh, I'm saying, is it the two men's fault that they were in this predicament? I I imagine it was. Is it the drug drug addict's fault that he's in a predicament? Or the prostitute's fault? Probably. Does it mean we ought not to love them? No. But that's what amazing grace is all about. That's real power. Power, authority to love the unlovable. Even though the storm, through a storm for the unlovable, that's what Jesus did for this man, or these men. That's what He's done for us all. He's endured the billows and the waves of God's wrath on the cross because He loved the unlovable, because the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And more than that, He has the power not just to love the unlovable, but the power to change them. Now here is an application as I close, and it's just twofold. One, there is no one, I repeat, there is no one who is a too hard of a case for Christ. No one is a too hard of a case for Christ to deal with. No one has been in too much sin for Christ not to save them and to deal with him. Jeremiah 32, 27 says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? In Mark's Gospel, Jesus told the demoniac, go and tell what great things Jesus of Nazareth has done for you. No, he didn't say go and tell what great things Jesus of Nazareth has done for you. No, tell what great things the Lord has done. And then later on, 
We see he went and told great things that Jesus had done, and what's that saying? He is the Lord, Jehovah the Son. Now, you're probably praying for someone, aren't you? You're praying maybe for a family member or a co-worker or a neighbor, and they're a hard case. But they're not too hard for Christ, and they're not too hard for the gospel. No one is too hard. There's a second application, I believe, here. Whatever is controlling or dominating your life today, whether you're a Christian or whatever your spiritual condition might be this morning, the Lord can break it and deliver it. The Lord can break that controlling force in your life and deliver you from it, whatever it is. You just have to believe Him. But He can do it. You know, even Christians are bound by all kinds of fetters. Uh, uh, Christians can be oppressed of the devil. I said oppressed, not possessed, but oppressed. I don't believe a Christian can be possessed by a demon or a devil. But often we are oppressed through fears and anxieties and all sorts of problems. But these men were delivered from their fears and their demons. And it's no surprise they wanted to be with the Lord Jesus would you not want to be with him as well? In Mark's account of the demoniac there that was healed, Jesus told him, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and have compassion on thee. Some years ago, an eye surgeon just fresh out of college began his business. He had no friends, no money, no patience. He was very discouraged until one day he saw a blind man and looking into his eyes, he said, why don't you come and, or why don't you have your eyesight restored? And the blind man said, how can I do that? He, and the surgeon said, well, come to my office tomorrow morning. An operation was performed and it was successful. And the patient said, I haven't got a penny in the world. I can't pay you. Oh, yes, the doctor said. You can pay me and I expect you to do so. And there's just one thing I want you to do, and it's very easy. Tell everybody that you see that you were blind and tell them who it was that healed you. I wonder, do we do that? There's one thing that God wants us to do, and it's to tell them we were blind, but now we see. We were sinners, but now we're saved. Do we tell everybody that we know? And here's a simple point of our text this morning. If Jesus delivered these men that were so subdued and so dominated by the power of demons, He has the authority to subdue your will and your mind that you might be set free from sin as well. Are there sins in your life that you think Christ cannot conquer? Are there desires that you think are beyond His control? Hear him when he says, go. And two men were freed, and now he says, come. Drink of the water of life freely through him, and if the Lord has saved you and done something great for you, then don't be quiet about it. Tell it to others. Let's pray. Father in heaven, do not know the spiritual condition of every person here this morning. I think majority of folks here this morning know Jesus Christ as their Savior, but there may be someone here this morning that 
has not does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ and they can truthfully say that they're being controlled by the things of this world and the sin and the difficulties in their life and Lord I pray that they'll respond to your invitation to come pray even Lord as believers Christians some of us knowing Christ many, many years find ourselves many times bound up by fears and anxieties. And Lord, we too can be freed because of your wonderful love and compassion for us and your demonstrative power, your ability to do great and mighty things which we know not, way beyond our imagination. And Lord, I pray this morning, whatever the need is in hearts this morning, that the Spirit of God will draw all men to yourself. I pray, Lord, as we close our service with an invitation that people will be willing to put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and realize that you have power, you have authority over those things in their life that are troubling them. Lord, bless as we close in Jesus' name. Amen.